Would you like to introduce yourself? Sean, tell us a little bit about who you are, how we know you, where you're from, what you do. Hello. My name is Sean Matthew Dunnington. I am 24 years old. I am located on the big island of Hawaii. And it is currently 1.40 p.m. and partially cloudy outside. You are perfect for public radio, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) I applied for a job and I'm really hoping to get it, but I'm not going to say where is this your audition tape (laughs) no it's i actually wouldn't even if i got this job i didn't actually i didn't apply for a new job because i have jobs already no one's applying for anything right of course not yes sean wears many hats he has many jobs he does (laughs) so many things he needs to be that money cash maker (laughs) i've heard that um that's kind of the gen z thing right now is to have as many part-time jobs as you can just because the job market is such shit that this is really the only way we can do it. But I have plenty of friends who have full-time jobs. Yeah. But more who have multiple part-time jobs. Yeah. And just as many who have no job. Yeah. So you could say it's equally cut in thirds. I could not say that, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> haven't, haven't calculated it all out. Yeah. You have to count all your friends first. That could be, that could be a first start. That'd be pretty right, hard, though. Friend, it just gets very confusing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so before we get into our episode, how are you doing, Maddie? Are you COVID-free? Finally COVID-free. Woohoo! I've heard that when you have COVID, it lives in your system forever. So I don't know if you'll ever actually be free of it. Um, yes and no. They don't know. There's probably going to be long-term effects that are, as of right now, unknown since we're only a year into the pandemic. But also, yes, in the way that it can take up to three months for it to leave your system. So if I took a test again, it still might turn up as positive, even though I'm no longer contagious. I'm sorry you had that experience. I hope you're feeling okay now. Yeah, it was a very odd sensation to have no more taste and smell. And I'm glad that it's back because I heard for some people that it's like they still don't have it back and it's like weeks afterward. So I've heard people make the joke that when you lose your taste, that they would only eat vegetables because it doesn't matter anymore. When you had no taste, what were you eating, Maddie? Um, I don't know. I don't think I went out of my way to do anything different, if that makes sense. I guess I, I, I drank a lot of water, though, just because like I was sick and trying to stay hydrated, which I probably don't drink as much water as I normally should. I was probably just drinking the normal amount of water someone should drink. I have a story. Okay. Give it to me. It's 2017 or 2016. Okay. I did a show. Long story short, I had bronchitis. I didn't know, but I did drink a lot of water. So that's my way of connecting. (laughs) Uh, Wonderful. Well, how have you been otherwise, Maddie? What's been going on? I got a septum piercing. I saw that. It looks awesome. Thanks. Did it hurt? Uh... Kind of. It's like, so they have this part where they put the clamps on that's basically going to like be where they like stick the needle through and the clamps kind of hurt because it's just like an uncomfortable sensation. Mm. It's um, like when you get an IUD and they have to clamp your cervix. That's what I've heard. That It's a similar sensation, but in a different part of your body. But yeah, it was like that. And apparently I was a bleeder because he like, like my piercing probably took like the longest because I went and got it with someone else and he just kept having to like sit there and keep like blotting my nose. And I was like, I'm so sorry, dude. I gave him a good tip though. So. Sounds like a cover story. 
cover story for what? Yeah. A mistake. Oh, he made a mistake? Maybe. He may have. You should sue him. Don't sue him. Don't sue him. (laughs) Don't want to. That's a long legal process. Oh, yes. (laughs) I'm aware. How many people have you sued, Lauren? Um, only, well, technically not one yet, but in oh. for my oh, burn. for your, I was going to say for your titty burn. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is confidential information you shouldn't share over. Well, I can cut anything waves. out that I want. Um, oh. That's the beauty of a podcast. Yeah. Or a pre-recorded podcast, at least. We're not on live air. I should say, yeah. yeah. This is why it takes me so long because we have to <laughs> cut things like this out. Well, don't cut this. I might not. We'll see. This is if this is here. Hi. <laughs> um. Yeah. Anyway. So, what has been going on in your guys' lives? So I am actually. <laughs> I've just been hanging out, enjoying the outside weather. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's supposed to snow in Portland this weekend, so I'm really excited about that. It's supposed to be like 28 and snowing. I do not think the Mini Cooper will fare well, but I think it will be good. But who knows where Lauren is currently? She is in an undisclosed location. That nobody needs to know. But that's okay. Um, as of my recent COVID tests, I still don't have COVID. So I think we're doing well. As, long, as far as we know. As far as we know. I mean, I got it from literally i don't know where i'm pretty sure i just got it from standing in a pizza place that i got pizza to go from so were you wearing a mask yep maybe it was on the pizza <gasps> it could have been covid pie but i'm just saying you don't do something dumb to get it like i wasn't doing anything dumb or taking right. risk and i wear my mask and i sanitize often did anyone see the snl sketch recently about covid anyone anyone watch snl in this this podcast. Which one? I only watch it occasionally. Play it the other day? No. Oh, yes. It was the one where they were all grouped up and they were, they took off their masks. Oh, yeah. That going was around so talking about how like they're all really, they were like masks off and they were all being very safe. And then, you know, you know what, Maddie? I think even better than watching an SNL sketch is listening to <laughs> someone fumble through trying to explain what happened in it. So, Viewers, I'm going to send you to www.youtube.com slash SNL slash episode 42683 slash slash hyphen FRH2QWT. Yes, check it out. It's good. It's great. Um, uh, do we have any big world events that we want to talk about what? at the moment? Let's Is that what you do on this? Yes. Yeah. We do. No, yeah. Not that there's that. No. Yes. Great. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of those things when we started the podcast, we didn't think it was going to be all that crazy. And then as soon as we were like about to start, that was when BLM really blew up. And so we've just felt like suddenly you had thousands of followers to give all their news to. No, we just felt that it was important to acknowledge a lot of the things that were going on in the world and not just pretend that. It's like a journey through our youth. And like part of that is like what's happening around you. Yeah, the presidential election, all that kind of thing. And then we were going to cut the segment completely, and we happened to release our episode, like, the day of all the crazy Capitol riot that... Which was? January 6th. Which also was? Also, Sean's birthday. So... Oh, your birthday will always be associated with that, you poor little Capricorn. It's okay, you choose which way you want to associate it. It can either be that or my birthday, but not both. No, I'm going to pick the Capitol riot. Over yeah. your birthday. So will I. 
So what world events yeah, are we has discussing? Crazy happened That's- in the last two weeks that we need to talk about. Well, we're currently mm-hmm. in the midst of an impeachment trial for Mr. Trump, round two. Yep. That's true. Yeah. They're still fighting about our stimulus checks. Yes. So are we are we like listing? No, I just uh, I don't know. It's more like if we have one that yeah, something big that we both care about. We wanna like or have something to yeah. Um, but I don't really know if there's anything all that much right now that I can think of. Um oh okay. I feel like this kind of segues into what we're about to talk to a little bit. Is that uh Biden reversed Trump's ban on trans people being in the military. Yes, Trump. Well, that is a part of the T of LGB, which is now a transition, I suppose, into <laughs> what I was going to talk about. So thank you, Maddie. You're welcome. <laughs> we are the queens of transitions here. Yeah. We never just abruptly change to our next topic ever. That would be bad. Yes. Yeah, so Biden has a more supposedly robust plan to help um, reverse a lot of Trump's anti-trans, anti-LGBT orders um, through a series of executive orders. First, he started with our reversing the trans men in the military, and hopefully there will be a lot more to come. I think I uh, I have more things I think happened, but honestly, I don't want to misquote something that happened in politics that can be recorded and put into the world. So I got nothing else. Totally. Well, that's good. I think, yeah, I think this would be a good time then to transition into our episode. Um, we are going to be. Can I just say? Yeah. It was really a pleasure discussing world events with you two. <laughs> well, what are you wanting out of us, Sean? What am I? What? What are you wanting? What am I? What am I? Wanting? What are you wanting? What am I? Um, I'm sorry. What am I wanting? <laughs> yeah. From what? From the our world news section. I said I enjoyed it. <laughs> it seems very sarcastic. <laughs> it wasn't. I didn't realize it was a new a, a news world section though. <laughs> I didn't realize we were discussing the world. Do, does anyone have any international topics to discuss in our world news discussion? Uh, you know, I could, but I won't. <laughs> oh, I have an update. This has nothing to do with the world, though. Right. <laughs> really keeping on par with this. Yeah, keep it. This. I learned how to play a new game this week. What um, game is that? Some of you may have heard of it. Uh, it's a video <laughs> game. You play it on a. Uh, I'm playing it on a Switch. It's called Fortnite. I'm really proud of you. Thank you. Um, sometimes I make it to like 20th place, and it's pretty exciting. So, is this something that like you can bond with your boyfriend over, or? Um, I forced him to re-download it. Yes. <laughs> cool. I did do that. <laughs> So yeah, let me give you the debrief on this uh, situation that we have. So Lauren is so far really great at running, jumping in place, picking mm-hmm. up weapons, <laughs> yes, opening doors, uh-huh. and crashing cars. That's areas of improvement: aiming, <laughs> um, hiding. I'm good at hiding in dumpsters. True. I think you know what. I think this is a very natural progression. I started playing Fortnite in July. I never thought I would. I did. And at the beginning, I was very scared. If I heard a sound, I would just run away. You know, I used to play Call of Duty when I was a child. <sighs> yeah. 
Oh, that's it? That's the end of the anecdote? <laughs> what else is there? Oh, I don't know. It sounded like the thought wasn't over. So I'm sorry, are we talking about queer traveling or what's happening? Yeah, so now we're going to talk about queer traveling. Now that, you know, I've learned how to travel in the world of Fortnite, let's <laughs> make it queer. Yep, the queen of transitions is self-proclaimed. <laughs> travel but queer. Okay, travel but queer. So, travel, <laughs> travel but make it queer. Yeah, so uh, Sean is going to be our queer travel expert today. Do you want to talk about why you decided to talk about this today? Because I feel like it's a kind of an interesting progression about how we landed here. <laughs> What's the progression? Well, you were writing your article and then you stumbled upon an article you didn't Think was oh, oh, well, oh well, hey, okay, well, from an undisclosed source that I will not name. Um, yes, so I identify as queer. I use he, him pronouns. I used to identify as gay, but then I felt like queer better suited what I um, was experiencing and going through and also spoke more to my perspective because I feel like the way I understand the world is... Um, intrinsically um i i don't know i guess like just offbeat from what is like the heteronormative take but i think that's the experience for all queer people not just me um and i think gay a lot of times i'm just not a really big fan of the straight gay binary and i like that queer is something that's more fluid and something that is more i think not as i i like that it's not as um What's the word? It's it's not as restrictive. I guess, sorry, restrictive. I was going to say easy to digest for straight people. I think it leaves more ambiguity. It's not as black and white, and I think queer doesn't try to assimilate to straight culture as much as gay does. So, anyway, yes, I I have um I I. I, should I, can I, should I, can I, do I like talk about my life and how it led me here? Or do I just talk about? You know, well, so one question I have other, yes. obviously like you are a part of the LGBT plus community, you identify as queer, but like what other than that, which like is also totally valid in making you an expert on this, like what makes you someone who like has the right to talk about queer travel in particular? Well, I'm queer and I travel. So I think I can talk about queer travel. Oh, you mean because of my, my job? No, I mean, I'm just saying, oh. like, are, do you have any other, like, qualification? Like, what is it that, like, you know, would bring you to being someone who I don't know, I was, is I, very knowledgeable about this topic? Other than just, I mean, like, just being queer and traveling is totally... I mean, honestly, too. I don't know if I am very knowledgeable of this topic. I think I, I'm i very interested in, like, spatial belonging for queer people. I always have been ever since I came out when I was in high school I've in Hawaii. I've been... I've kind of always thought about like what it means to come out where you are. And like, I, I think for my plays, like for Flatfish and the children's farm and zap, like all of those are about trying to belong in the space that you are. So I think that's something that really is applicable to anyone who's queer. And I think also that can translate to a lot of non-queer experiences, just trying to belong. Um, and I think I, this, this past summer, I was doing a project with, um, Esri, the Environmental Sustainability Research Institute, and I was working on uh, kind of a better understanding queer geographic information systems and looking at queer spatial mapping and kind of thinking about like um, spatial data and how like it 
and how like the data that we have can not only inform um, inform us on how queer folks are being impacted by the spaces that they live in, but also it's help. I think it's helps us better understand how to explore queerness in space or space as queer itself. I was making maps um, that were about queer issues. I was writing articles about queer geography and queer theory. And um, then I started transition. And then I, and then I, uh, I guess I, uh, then I stopped. And uh, <laughs> now I'm, uh, I have a bunch of jobs, but one of them is I'm a content specialist for Expedia groups, specifically for orbits. And I write queer drought, queer travel blog posts, articles for them. So I was just writing this one yesterday or technically this past month, but I published it yesterday and it's called like 15 best queer bars, the ultimate list. It's like, <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, it was, it was a very different experience for me writing about, um, something in that realm, it was, it felt a little more markety advertising things, but I think I've always thought about like visibility and being queer and like moving through space while queer. Um, for me, it's a little bit, it, it's, it's actually a lot easier because I'm a white man and I'm a cis white man. I am able to sometimes pass as straight and I'm able to kind of move through spaces more easily versus people who are like visibly queer, which is why I paint my nails and stuff and just try to look visibly queer and whatever stereotype that means because I feel like it's a form of solidarity that I appreciate and I appreciate seeing in others who take that chance and have like the bravery to be visibly queer nothing against the people who aren't um there's days and communities that I enter that I definitely do not feel safe or comfortable being visibly queer in but um in like the time that I've 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 had a lot of I guess not 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 like compared to others probably not that much travel experience but I think enough where I've been able to really observe and identify like what it means for me to travel and move through space while being while being visibly queer and um I guess that's the topic of today yeah I don't know and I feel I think I'm just I'm monologuing now oh no but it's been very it's, it's, it's interesting and I think very insightful as to like what brought you what brought us you know because you're the reason that we are you know you're talking about this today and what brought us to this place um do you is there a place that you feel would best suit us to start talking about this topic or do you want to just move through your travel experiences? You know what, let me say, I, so the, the article that Lauren was referencing was this one that I read and it was like how to travel like when LGBTQIA plus in like wherever. And it was like, sometimes if you go to a country that's not in the US, people are gonna think that like you and your boyfriend or you and your girlfriend are siblings, crazy. And if that happens, you can make a joke. And I, I had no idea what I was doing. I um, <laughs> that's something that is happens here. Um, it's so different country by country, and you know, even city by city. I feel like I can't. I feel like it. It might be too big of a challenge to try to. Oh, I guess let's start with um, let's start with our time in, or yeah, let's start with our time in London. Maybe I have a. a can I ask a quick question first, yeah. just about what your opinion on like queer travel is do you think so whenever i've traveled in terms of just like being an american traveling somewhere else you know i try to not necessarily i don't know if assimilate is quite the right word to their culture but you know be as respectful of whatever their cultural practices are and you know if i if it's possible for me to speak the language to do that in terms of it's obviously a very different issue and I haven't like traveled really to a place where I've 
like felt unsafe because of like gender or sexual identity. But would you feel like you should continue to display your sexual identity and like be as open with it in places where that's like not okay? Or do you think that it's better to just? No, I, 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 I wouldn't, I, I, I would have no reason to go to a, a place that is dangerous for queer people and try to be visibly queer. Cause I would just be putting myself in danger and I would be, it, it would, it would, if it was like a protest and like I had like an intention and I had like a safe way to do it. And that was like in support of something or a cause, I think I would, but I probably wouldn't even visit a country that, um, that pen penalizes or punishes people for their sexual orientation. I would, I, in, in, that is in other countries in America, there's all, there's definitely spaces that I enter though, that I know are less accepting of, um, people in the LGBTQ plus community. And I do enter those spaces, but it's because I think also that's a part of my privilege just as a white man of being, feeling confident. And I'm also like a bigger guy feeling like I can enter these spaces and feel safe. And like, I can get dirty looks. People can come up to me and tell me to leave, which has happened, but I, don't feel like my life is in danger, which is like for a lot of queer people, just like walking on the streets, even during daytime in their hometown could be more, a lot, a lot more dangerous than that. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, interesting. So yeah, then I guess like, let's look back at your travels and some of those have been our travels. Um, what, like, where would you want to start with what it's been like? Start with fucking Redlands. Okay. We love, we love to go back to talking about fucking Redlands. Throwback. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Redlands is a, I guess just for context, for any, I'm sure, I, I'm not sure. I have uh, assumption that the people who listen to this podcast know what Redlands is or have been to Redlands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we definitely talked about our personal experiences there, um, but I don't think we've ever touched on it from this perspective, so. Yeah, I felt, I mean, I felt super unsafe in Redlands as a queer person, especially when I would be holding hands with an, uh, another man. In the town of Redlands or on campus? Both. Okay. Both. I mean, I not, here, let me rephrase. I felt unsafe in the town. I felt uncomfortable at the school. Okay. Um, even, you know, even at a young liberal arts school in California, it was like visible queer couples was, at least my time was rare. Like I could name on like, like probably like my four years, I could probably name like 10 couples that I, that I knew of um, that were queer um, and that were like students, both students of Redlands. Um, and that was, and, and the majority of which were, were female identifying. So um, I had, I, I felt very safe in the Johnson community, but in like greater Redlands, like even just walking through the quad with one of my boyfriends, <laughs> Take your pick. <laughs> I um, <laughs> I would always get stares, but it would always be like in a really like like a romanticized way, like a oh, like look, like they're gay and they're holding hands and like they're doing it in front of us. They feel comfortable, and it's almost that like progress, like it it almost is seemingly progressive, but in a way, it's it it felt kind of ostracizing and it felt like I was being spotlighted and noticed because I was gay and I. Like, you know, you see a person walking by holding hands and, you know, like a straight couple and you're like, I don't fucking care because that's every other couple at Redlands and there's a million of them and they're fucking everywhere. But a gay couple, it's like super rare to stumble upon just like out in the open. And I was 
constantly stared at. And I, uh, and that made me uncomfortable. I never stopped because of it. But like in the town of Redlands, I, was, I definitely felt a little unsafe in our little blue or uh, red, red, red. Uh, I don't even know what to call it. There's so many stupid Trump supporters and Republicans in Redlands. So I don't know if that's the language Oh, we, we talk use. about that a lot. <laughs> Um, Not in Redlands in particular, but... Blue Lives Matter rallies are in Redlands. Mm. Um, racism is well and alive in, in every which way. Um, lot, lots, of, lots of stuff that uh, we did not experience within our bubble of the school, but that were right outside of our periphery. Um, I don't know. I feel like... I mean, why am I speaking just about this? Can yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you oh. also were at Redlands and queer and in a relationship and going through a lot of this. Like, yeah. what did you feel comfortable, safe at Redlands, being visibly queer? I would. I mean, like physically safe, yes. Um, but it was definitely uncomfortable. I would say in the city of Redlands was where it was the most. Like that's where you would like. I you know people like if you were we were holding hands, people would be yelling. Like I've heard people like yell at us like as they drive by because they don't think it's okay. Like and, what? I don't, I just, there's one incident in particular and there's a big Latino population in Redland that I just remember these two guys drove by in a truck and Sarah and I were holding hands as we were like walking out of her apartment and they like started yelling something at us and you, I couldn't tell what they were saying, but it was, you can, you could tell the like intention of it from what they were yelling. And I was like one of the first times that I'd ever like anyone had ever really said anything negative about it. Like, yeah, sort of those, oh, it's so cute. Like, wow, it's so great that you're doing this. Like there was those sort of things, but never anything that felt aggressive. And like, that was definitely kind of a scary moment. And I, you know, I think being from Portland too, where like, it feels very safe in a lot of, I mean, I've never personally been like in a, like been with a partner that is like in a queer relationship in Portland, but like knowing other people, like they've always felt very safe there. And it's like very normal. Like it, people don't really think twice about it in the same way that I feel like in when you're like walking around campus on Redlands and maybe these are just the people I know where they like feel the need to like say something about it. But it definitely has a different energy and response to. Why did you specify the Latino population? I don't know, because they spoke in Spanish. Uh, That's the only reason. It had literally nothing to do with that just because they were speaking in Spanish and I didn't know what they were saying. <laughs> has nothing to do with that population. I just, that was the experience that I had. And I didn't know what they were saying, but it felt like, you, you, I don't know. I feel like you can tell when someone's saying something aggressive towards you and they're yelling at you from their car. I mean, do you remember any like also like just like the nightlife of Redlands and anytime I would go and I, if I like was with a guy like how I don't know just like I don't know I get because it's that kind it's that like kind of home it's like that heterosexism that's just so like embedded just in like the way that you look at someone which feels so sometimes like so like it is it, it feels just as real as like being spoken to or yelled at like because I've I've been in both and I feel like I am more aware of I don't know I feel like it affects me more like being like given a dirty look than mm. so I, I don't know what I'm saying anymore Maddie um well I'm not part of the queer community so I can't say I have any experiences that relate to it but 
uh, when you said like, oh, like I can count the number of like non-heteronormative couples I saw on my whole time Redlands, I'm like, oh yeah, whoa, I don't, like, I saw like you two in different relationships and I saw like a couple other people and you're right, it was mostly women too, but like I, I can't really think of any like gay couples that I really saw, like there weren't that many considering like how liberal of a college we are, you would expect there to be more acceptance. Or we say we are. <laughs> yeah, we say that we are, but like, you're like, well, why don't I see any of this like type of representation on campus? Yeah, you know, I think also a lot of colleges that have like really robust like LGBT community spaces, I think a part of that is because like the schools have those scenes already. And I think a lot of people from like high schools, especially in like smaller towns or places where they don't feel accepted, like are eager to go to spaces where they can be. And Redlands just doesn't really, Redlands doesn't present itself as that space. So, you know, like if I, if I had the wherewithal the time and I was really thinking about like what it would be like as like a queer person, especially like an artist who very intentionally creates queer art, like what it would be like to go to like a very heteronormative school, I might I might have made a different decision if I kind of understood like how straight Redlands was. When was that something when you were applying to schools and looking at schools, were you even thinking about yes. that at that point? I, I asked my tour guide, at, I asked my tour guide at Redlands, I was like, and I didn't even know how to ask because I, I came out, I came out like in early high school and I was like, one of the first, if not the first person to like ever come to my school's history. There was no one gay. I didn't know anyone gay in my town or at any other schools. It was like very, and there were a lot of us, but there were not a lot of us who were out and open. And I, I didn't know how to ask about it. So I asked on my tour, on my tour it was just this one guy, Parker, and my mother and I, and he was, and I was like, so, are there like, are there gays? Like, are there gay guys? Like, what do I do? And he was like, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, people are gay. And like, yeah, of course people are fucking gay. And like, <laughs> I should, I, I didn't know what I was looking for. Like, I just right. wanted, I, but I, I was waiting, you know, I did go to a couple of schools like that. I asked that and they were like, we have a big like LGBT population, but you know, tour, I was a tour guide almost all four years at Redlands and like some, and you just, kind of want to give the response or spin it in a way that will make someone feel more comfortable or make them or sometimes straight up lie to them and like make them think that like this is the choice for them and uh you know that's so I felt like I don't know I thought it was going to be it's like the same way that when I was a tour guide people there would be like um parents and families um especially like black families who would come in and they would be like, this is like an all white school. Like, where's the diversity? And I know a lot of tour guys who would be like, oh, like they're just, they, they being like black people or brown people or any person of color, they'd be like, they're just in class right now. Like as if like all of them are like in like a class together, like, you know, like just hide, like hiding from the tours intentionally. But you know, like, like everyone was very uncomfortable to address like, like the amount of white people that we had at the school and like the amount of like straight people that we had on campus. And like people, you know, we like, we're students, we don't really know what to do. And we give responses that we think will satisfy them. And uh, they're actually just like straight up lies and set up a really terrible future for anyone who comes in on a false advertisement. Also, I thought that Redlands was only a few minutes away from the beach because they had a very confusing oh, no. map where everything was enlarged and it looked like it was really close. I know I could have looked at a map myself and I did, <laughs> but I understand. Also, I got a nice scholarship. There's things I loved about Redlands 
but these are all things that I that ha- that I do <laughs> that have happened. Um, yeah, no, I mean, so- both, both parts are you know valid in the reality of the experience of being at Redlands. Uh, so this is kind of diverging from travel, but how did you like carve out a queer space on campus where you like did feel like accepted or um, at the very least you felt like you could be, or I don't know, be yourself? You know, I don't know if I ever really did. I, I felt like, I mean, I always felt very safe in Johnston because for those of you who don't know, the Johnston Center for Integrative Studies is like a smaller subset of Redlands and there's a lot of queer people in there. Um, and when I was there, it was mostly queer female identifying people, not as many queer men, but um, I felt very safe in that space. In the theater, I actually really didn't feel that comfortable. Like it was a very um, like straight environment. There were a lot of homophobic instances there are instance, instances, instances, instances. Oh my God, what, what is happening to my mouth? Instances. <laughs> there was, you know, like I, there were like, we did shows that were about straight people. People, especially men would make like very homophobic jokes to each other. Like, like professors. Professors would make homophobic references. I was like, ca- I was cast in a show because I was gay, but it wasn't even a role that was gay. And it felt very odd. And like, I felt like my own, I sh- my own identity like shouldn't have been like involved. I felt super uncomfortable during the process of the Laramie Project, a show about Matthew Shepard, and um, like the beginning of that process felt extremely homophobic and um, just I hate I, I hate this word because it's such like a hot word, but it really did. A- I don't hate this word. It's a word that I, I've actually been thinking more about. But like I was like you remember that I was so triggered. Oh yeah, like, absolutely. That sucked. Like I mean, do we talk about that? We're welcome. To, I, I think that's fine. Okay. That was that was reality. Yeah, there was actually, you know what? There was, can I just say, I had this like on the 50th Johnson renewal, um, which was like a huge event. We had a space like, or an event that was like just for like queer people of Johnston, like across the years. And it was a lot of crying and just people talking about from like the beginning of, not the beginning of Redlands, but early on to now, like how uncomfortable or challenging it's been to be queer. Like a couple of instances that pop in my head were like I was the captain of my intramural soccer team my senior year and we got a football player, like we were against the football players. There was a million of them. One of them asked to play with us. And then um, and then like, do you remember this? Yeah, yes. He, it was during our like, our like one, two, three break, like after the <laughs> intermission, I don't know what the word is, the, the <laughs> halftime. Um, <laughs> I think halftime, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> During either one, intermission or halftime, um, I went, I went, we were, I think we were called like Midnight Buffalo or something. I don't even remember. <laughs> but we were going to go like one, two, three, Buffalo. And then the guy was like, uh, football, he was like, football player. He, want, he wanted us to do a different chant for the other team to overhear. And I'm pretty sure, wasn't it fo- like football players are fags? Something like, I don't know if he said fags but no he's yeah did he yeah oh yeah i mean i wasn't there i just remember you telling me about it yeah and he wanted to do a chant like for us to go like one two three like they're fags or whatever like as a way to like make fun of the other team and like call them fags and this is you know i'm like i'm 22 and i'm and i and i it was just it was a it was a moment that really stood out to me because i just like completely shut down i didn't feel like i was able to 
speak out, even though at that point I felt like really more comfortable doing that. And actually, and I was on an all, I, I, as far as I know, I was on an all straight or mostly all straight team of, of mostly also men who um, were there. And one of them was like, Hey, like, that's not cool. We don't say that. And he was like, Oh, like, okay, whatever. But like that whole game, I just like felt like, like I couldn't say anything. And I was just so disappointed for not saying anything and not like I was the, I was like the oldest one there. And I felt like I wish I said something. I wish I reprimanded him. I wish I told him he couldn't play with us. I wish I did something. And I really just kind of was like, Oh, like I'm a fag, like, and I'm playing this sport. Like, does that mean I suck? Like, should I not be playing right now with like these like 30 other straight men? And um, that, and like, you know, I really wasn't a part of like the sports culture or like the fraternity culture at Redlands. I like really put myself in like the bubbles of theater and Johnston. So the fact like seeing that little glimpse, like just really scares me for anyone who was queer and was a part of that world and makes me feel really sad for them. And like the experience that they might've had um, if those were the people that they were surrounded with, which it was them. So um, yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) Listen, there's I like people... feel like I'm seeing a different like I don't know I feel like I'm seeing like a different side of Redlands like through your perspective and it's very like interesting and disheartening <sighs> you know I yeah thanks I I think I mean I know I have friends who have had like much stronger and more appalling experiences as like being queer and I feel like I definitely got like the soft end of this the soft end of the stick. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. The soft, the soft end of a. What, what's this? The, the well, feather what, duster. It wasn't the short end. The what? A feather duster. Oh, fe- <laughs> yes, I got. I, I had the feather. I got feather dusted. With I homophobia. Feather, I had the feather duster. <laughs> um, you know, I can like, I can spend this whole time just like accounting like homophobic experiences I've had in my life and at Redlands, but I think actually I, to answer your question, Maddie, like, did I? were there spaces where I felt like I could like really be myself? I would say I really try to make like mine and Lauren's house that space when we were seniors. I felt like I didn't really have my own space that could be that before. Like I felt safe in Johnson, but it still felt like a very straight male energy. And um, I think like we tried having like a queer brunch for our friends. Like we tried, like, like we talked about being queer a lot. Like I try, like I just, and like I really explored like my writing and being queer and I don't know I feel like we try but it's it's like you know with like no mentorship and like kind of no resources it's it's really tough to to figure out like how to navigate it in kind of a homophobic environment like we you know we had freshmen who we would invite over to our house who were queer and were like really struggling um to like feel accepted or integrated into the community and not just feel like they're being eaten alive by it especially our friends of color who are queer or non-binary or transitioning which is like a much different experience than what we have and like it i i felt like i couldn't really offer anything outside of like we will hold space for you but i didn't feel like i could give hope in the school for holding space like we had a really sad little like lgbt center like shout out to anyone who like actually hosted that space or held it for others but like we were underfunded like we didn't have enough community support or like focus from the school like there was all that fucking shit that went down with the cdi center and like the school like <laughs> like totally like putting it on the back burner and letting it go and god that was a shit that was a shit show um yeah. 
Yeah, I, I know we were supposed to talk about queer travel, but now I'm just talking about homophobia at Redlands. Well, I mean, but that's important. And I, you know, that's sort of a foundation for growing bigger. And I guess like that kind of is a, a travel in a certain sense, you know, traveling from where you grew up to a new space. Yeah. I mean, you know, so like I've since then- Did I've it make in... you- Okay. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. You... What were we going to say? I was going to say, did your experience there make you more wary when you did travel? Like- because you already came to one space where you're like, oh, I didn't know what I was getting myself into and it ended up not being great. So then when you're traveling, you're always taking that like risk of being like, I don't know what this community is like. Um, that's a, that's a great question. I think I, um, I don't know, like the only place I really, cause since then I've lived in New York city and San Francisco. I've lived in San Francisco this last year and I was in New York city for a little bit before that. And, you know, both of the spaces are, there's just so many fucking gay people. It's easy to integrate and be in it for me at least. And I don't know. I feel like the only thing I can really speak on was my time in Europe. And I, uh, I don't know. Like, do you, I don't know if I felt like cautious at Lambda being gay, but I like, I, I, uh, I don't know, Maddie. I feel like I've always been cautious just because I'm from here. Like, I think this, I, I actually, like, was never su really surprised at Redlands. It was kind of what I was used to already. Mm -hmm. um, it was more surprising, actually, like, to go to San Francisco and New York and see what it could be like. But even then, like, the gay, like, and I say gay with the capital G culture, especially for our <laughs> fit, cis, gay, white men, <laughs> or as I would say, uh, F, what is it, FCGWM, <laughs> the TM at the end, <laughs> trademark. Um, <laughs> like it is it, those, the, the spaces are for them and not for everyone else. Um, so I honestly, I don't even know if I have really ever in my life entered a space where I felt like I could be fully queer or fully embrace my identity without like the, like without, without like a heteronormative gaze or without being like tokenized as a as like a like one of the only members of the community in the space or having mm -hmm. to like represent the space and fight against people who are being homophobic like when we did laramie or having to be like you know like connecting with like two other people for being like one of the only queer people in the space like at lambda there was only like a couple of us that were actually queer even though it was an acting school and like i don't know even in san francisco and new york i felt like i would always enter spaces and it was like it was a lot of people that looked like me like usually they were more fit but they looked like me and but I, even then like it felt like just so like the toxic masculinity was just amped so high like i felt like i it was harder for me to explore like my like the parts of me that are very feminine which is really important to me um so i don't know i feel like i've actually never i feel like i've never really had a space that i've felt like I could fully truly be be like my queer self if that makes sense when you travel have you felt like you've had to like put on a different persona um yeah yeah i mean there's lots of instances especially when i was in europe where i just didn't know it would i went to a lot of different countries but you know again it was still europe so it was pretty chill and a lot of the countries there are really safe for queer people um, and I felt like I was able to, you know, again, like I could be really straight passing. If I'm just like walking on the street, like people aren't necessarily going to know, you know? Have you ever traveled with a partner? Um, I've never traveled outside of the U.S. with a partner, but I've, I have been in lots of different 
states with partners and I've had to gauge it very differently every time, like where I am and like what the atmosphere is like and if it's okay for us to be gay and in a relationship there. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I even like, just like, like I said, like with my paints and nails or with the clothes I wear, like there's definitely places where I take it off or change it up or just like act straight as a way to feel safer or like I'm not imposing on someone. I mean, it's, I like, I know, bless you. I know that like what I'm, what I'm saying right now is like nothing like special, unfortunately, to my own experience. Like this is something that like, you know, like a, a majority of like, like especially like non-white or female queer people experience. And I feel like I know a lot of white gay men who like never experience this and feel like totally comfortable wherever they are and feel like they can always be themselves. So like this is this is just kind of like a jet, like I hate saying this, but this is kind of like the general experience for a lot of people. Um, and it can, and like, I, I know I keep saying this, but I, I, I know that it, I know people who have had just like, such dangerous encounters and experiences. And like, so I do feel like I do, I, I feel like I need to acknowledge that like, even though like I have like stories that suck and that are shitty and I've had to like hide who I am a lot. Like, I just know that like, <laughs> it's just so much worse for others. Do you see any hope as of right now? Like, do you see spaces that are getting better or initiatives that are being made that are changing? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I wish, I, I, you know, like we've, we, we, we like are still so straight of a country that like, if anything, ha like there's still so many firsts that haven't been had yet for people who are queer, like Pete Buttigieg being sworn in as like a cabinet member and being, I believe like the first openly like gay one is, he like, is yeah. Huge. Yeah, which is huge, but also like, fuck, like it's 2021 and there's so many cabinet members and so many presidents that have passed through. But you know, like this is all still like pretty new, like in terms of like an out culture that's safer. Like I don't, who was Like we remember we were talking to someone last week and they were like, oh yeah, I remember we were talking to, uh, to Daniel. And he was like, he said something about like how it was probably like easier to be gay or like open since like, the 70s or something right, right. and I was like no 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 I do I like I am not a, a queer historian under any circumstance but I do read a lot of queer history and like there's always been ebb and flows of where people can be safe and when they felt safe but this like this whole out culture and people being able to be visibly queer especially in public spaces or in spaces of power is so new and fresh especially if people actually being accepted into those spaces not just people writing for them and trying to to be in them or be involved in them. I don't know. I don't I don't I, I have hope that one day something will change, but I like have not like I don't know. There's a lot like there's just so much important legislation that we still need passed and there's so many movements that need to be had, like both socially and culturally. And there's just like there there it, it's it's I mean I'm I I I I read a lot of queer theory and I think like, like, yes, there's like, yes, there's legislative things we need to do. And there's like so many, there's like so many executive orders that need to be made just to like to get us out of the fucking like toilet. But like, I think it really comes down to also just like how we learn about queerness in elementary school. 
Like, I really think how we're educated about queerness is really important. Like, I didn't know what being gay was until I was, you know, I didn't know that it was really a thing until I felt it. And like, I think, like, I think we just need, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm so passionate about like dismantling like heteronormativity in the classroom. And like, you know, when we're like little kids, like I've heard a lot of, I, I've heard parents say, and you know, I think about this a lot cause I teach children and I've been running a children's theater program in Hawaii for the last like 10 years with my sister. And like, we've had a lot, both of us are queer and we've had conversations about like when a child asks, like, can we tell them that we're queer? Like, can we tell them like my boyfriend, my girlfriend, whoever. And we've always kind of said like, no to ourselves, like, because we've always, we've, we know the imposition of parents being uncomfortable with their kids, like learning about it or like, you know, being turned or whatever. And, you know, what they just don't realize is like, they are pushing like being straight as what is normal and what is right. Like we read all of our, like all of our fairy tales and everything, like all of our Disney, whatever is like, everything comes back to a heteronormative couple like even like the examples that we see in our schools and when our teachers talk about like their husbands or wives and like even seeing each other's parents like it is just like so much like saturation of like straight culture that it feels impossible to learn about like queerness without it being something that is like so totally different than what we have and what's acceptable that even if you learn that it's okay it still feels like something that you should not be or something that is different because it is and that's how it's treated and being queer is different than being straight and then like you know like a lot of kids like a lot of parents think that they're super progressive by being like it's so like it's okay to be straight or gay which is great and i'm like such a big fan of but also like i don't know just fucking like <laughs> like just like it's it's I, I hate that we even have to say it's okay to be gay. Like it's just you just fucking are gay or you're or you're not gay and like just let your kids be what they are and stop commenting on and, and telling them what to do and let them read whatever the fuck they want. Oh, there's just it's just like there's just like so much like from an early age that is ingrained in us that like I, I have a lot of people in my life that like are really close people to me who are like I know are still really unraveling from like uh, what they didn't understand was like a homophobic or a, a heterosexist upbringing. Cause it's like the really small ways that it it's instilled in us and it, and it's how we make decisions. It's how we look at people. And like, it's, and yes, like we do have to make these like sweeping changes with the choices in our government and like the choices that they make to actually like, you know, have like really strong, like anti-discrimination policies and all of that. But I think for actual change to be made, we really need to bring it down to like the smallest level of like in the home, how you're raised, how you understand sexuality and gender. I'm really glad you brought that up because it's something interesting that like I personally feel as like a very like, per like I think I'm a very progressive person. I think I came from a very progressive place and I find myself, especially working with children all the time saying things that are like so heteronormative or so like, like, I mean, about gender and everything, you know, like putting not, not so much like putting little girls in a specific category or anything, but it's just incredible to me how like ingrained some of these things are that like until recently, like they come out of my mouth and I'm like, wow, I can't believe that is something I just said or that I believe and I really have to unravel it. You know, the other day, I mean, I would say, probably for me, one of the things I find myself doing 
way more than I wish I would as like, you know, putting, you know, kids into categories based on gender, um, you know, talking about like, oh, it's little girls. So I'm going to talk about princesses and all these things. And like, that's, and I know it like, from talking to kids because I'm around them all the time. Like they don't really care one way or the other until that it, it's pushed on them over and over and over again. And I, you know, it's something that I think we can all probably continue to just be aware of how we speak to each other, how we speak to the future generations and of, you know, it's okay to be wrong and <laughs> not say the right thing sometimes and to begin unraveling that. Oh, and it's okay to, it's okay to let kids be right. Yes. Uh, just let them be right. Let their stories matter. Let them say what they want. Uh, trying to control kids sucks. Because now we're like giant kids and like we hate when our parents tell us what to do because we remember that that's how we grew up and we don't want that. No one wants that. Kids don't want that. Just stop telling them what to do. Yeah. But it's hard sometimes, you know, because that's how we've been trained. That's how I was raised was, you know, kids are controlled. Kids are, don't know as much as the adults and they have to listen to the authority. And as much as I don't want that to be the philosophies in which I sometimes teach by it can be hard to get out of that mindset without really actively thinking about it every single day. Yes. I told like kids think that all they need to be said to is, or all they need to be told is because I said so, or because Mm. I'm the adult. And it's, I was said to, I, that was said to me so much growing up, like by my parents, by my teachers, by everyone. And I, I just never really understood, you know, and I I still don't like, I have no, like, what what the fuck does that mean? Because I, because I I said, I hate that term. I feel like unless you can give a genuine logical reason, like you shouldn't be controlling this person. Like, and even then usually logical, like sometimes reasons still don't make sense. Like, I don't know. I, yeah, I hate that terminology. Yeah, they're just so much better than us. Honestly, what I want to do to fix this is I just want to put kids who know nothing in charge of the whole world <laughs> and let them let them figure it out. Honestly, it would probably be a much sweeter world that we live in. Yeah, unless unless they're like, you know, like young young kids, not like small children because young kids like just learned enough to be assholes. Like we don't want a Lord of the Flies, you oh, know? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, That's you got to have what is the right age group you say would be ideal. Three. That, I was gonna say four. Yeah. Let, three let them. Or four. Let yeah. them just like they don't. I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll we'll still learn how. To, we'll still know how to function. We'll grow plants and eat our own food, and we'll just like wait for them to grow and not tell them anything, and they'll figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> is, yeah. it, is this is this a great idea or is this really just like super fucking stupid? I don't know. I mean, probably probably the, the latter. Would be is <laughs> I, they have a hard time with certain things like feeding themselves and. I mean, that's a big one. But I guess they could feed themselves. They just need access to that. I mean, that. this is making me think, you know, a lot because a lot of parents are thinking about right now, especially progressive parents, like, how do I discuss, like, racism with my children? How do I discuss mm-hmm. the capital yeah. riots with my children? How do I tell my children that, like, this Black man was killed by the police and that the police aren't always here to protect you or if you are Black, like, are not here to protect you? Like, there's, I don't know, like, I, I'm not a parent these are things I've never thought about, but I am a teacher and I think about it in that way, but I haven't had to have any of those conversations yet. So I don't know, like if we all, let's all say we have our hypothetical babies, like how, how would you try to, how, how would you try to explain racism or sexuality to your children? Um, 
like sexuality. I, I get we um. It was in my top to my tongue. Um, I feel like it's more like explaining to them that there's a spectrum, and people can fall wherever, and eventually they're gonna figure out where they fall on it. Not like not telling them what's right or wrong, but just being like, there's all these different things. You're gonna choose one of them eventually, and that's gonna be that. And it can change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a big part of it too, like in, you know, especially very early on, is ex- is you know going back to exposing them to all different types of media. There are a ton of children's books about queer couples and different genders and all of that stuff. And so like we can read, you can you know read those stories with your kids so that they just grow up thinking, okay, there's families that look like this and there's families that look like that, and not everyone looks like me. I think that's like the very, very basic is making sure that they see that just because this is what happens inside of my home doesn't mean that that's what it looks like everywhere and that's okay. Yeah. I Also, <laughs> two things. Um, the first one, I'm, I'm thinking about what you, what you said, Maddie, about like raising them on, like to, to kind of just understand like sexuality as a spectrum. Um, I want to be. I want. I want to be careful of the language. I'm not saying that they'll choose one, um, because they won't. They won't choose one. Um, Sexuality is not a choice. Actually, okay. I was listening to this interesting queer podcast that was talking about like, is sexuality a choice? And even if it is a choice, why does it matter? Because you should still respect someone's choices. Ah, hmm. uh, yeah. But the argument of- This is, that's a whole different, like, they literally did, like, a two-hour conversation about this, so we don't have to get into it. No, 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 totally. I will just say, though, that I, the, of sexuality being a choice, if I had the choice, I'd choose to be straight. Well, actually, now I would choose to be queer, because I I like it more. Whether it's a, a, what they kind of talked about is that, like, maybe it's not a conscious choice, but, um... Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know, because I haven't lived the experience, so I, and, but. Let me say. Whether it's scientific, or a subconscious choice, or the way your parents even raised you, like, the point is, is that you should still be respected, no matter who you choose to love. I, uh, yes, I, I totally hear what you're saying, and I, I, that, that is an interesting perspective, and I, I, can I can I give my pitch of what I think sexuality is? Yeah. yeah. Um, before that, I just want to say I would raise my kids to believe in nothing and know that the world is terrible and people are treated badly because of their sexuality or skin color and they better not be assholes like that. Because um, <laughs> I also don't want to raise them with like spiritual bypassing and being like, everyone's equal and we could all hold hands and sing Kumbaya and like, Roast marshmallows up on the fire and lick each other. I don't know. I just, we're not gonna lick each other. We're, we, we might. It's that, that is okay still. We can still lick each other. So my yeah. pitch on sexuality, I think I've mentioned this to a couple of friends before. No one's ever <laughs> agreed with me. And I don't know oh. if it's smart to like put this on, on the record of what I think, but I will because I have a podcast microphone in front of my face. Yes, you do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, um, yes, I, I understand the, the idea of it being like a subconscious choice in the way that I think a lot, of, a lot of my friends who were raised in like very heteronormative, heterosexist environments, like grew up straight and then had like a, a queer awakening 
like when they were in college or like when they were in a space that accepted it or they really had a transition into it, but didn't know that they could access that part of themselves until they were in an environment that let them. But that is to say, like someone can make the opposite argument and be like, I have plenty of queer friends, like even myself, like without any queer influences and growing up in that space. And, um, and like that ended up becoming queer. I personally think that those people, especially like myself, like, I, I mean, a lot of people say that like kids also like try to do like the opposite of what their parents tell them to do and then are being like rebellious. So like you can see sexuality or being queer as like a rebellion to like heteronormativity. But I don't know. I think, I personally think that I, I do not, I, I, I do not believe in the binary of straight and gay. I think that that is something that we made up um, that straight people made up to make each other comfortable that like, and to um, disempower and like destroy the lives of queer individuals or queer people in power that they didn't like or couldn't accept. It's the same way with race and how race is a construct and, but race is very much real now. Sexuality is a construct and sexuality is very much real now. But I think that, you know, like I like to think about like ancient Hawaii and how um, like our highest ranking chiefs would have um, intercourse with a lot of um, their like top men as like a way of respect. And like, that wasn't seen as like something that was gay. That was seen as something that was seen as like respect. And I think that for a lot of cultures, I've heard stories like that. And it makes me think like sexuality very much is something that's learned. It's something that we're taught. Just like how we're all, like what I was saying earlier, like we are taught as children that being straight is what is normal and what we're supposed to be. And we have to learn how to break away from that on our own if we are queer. But I think in a world, if you were, I think if you were to raise a group, this is a science, this is my scientific hypothesis that I will never be able to legally or morally test. If you were to take a group of like a hundred kids and you were to raise all of them from day one to only read queer stories, to only see queer couples, to only hear about queerness and never hear about straight people, I think that they would be queer. I think they would express queer thoughts. I think they would understand crushes in a different way. I think it would like neurologically like change like the links in their brain that understand sexuality and I think that they would end up queer and I think a couple of phrase in there would end up being straight just like how in a straight society a couple of us end up being queer that is my take on it I that's why I don't think I I, I understand the idea that it's a choice then but I would not say that it is a conscious choice also not to be like regressive to the whole movement of it's of it not being a choice just because that's what a lot of that's been like one of the biggest heterosexist arguments in history is to make is like to support conversion therapy is to tell people that it is a choice and that they should just be making a better one or a different one or a straighter one under the pretense of religion or people being fucking awful. Um, that is my, that that's how I see sexuality. And I feel like entering Redlands, I knew a lot of people who, well, maybe, maybe not you, but a lot of people who didn't know or even think that they could be queer until they were in an environment where it was accepted. And I think for a lot of people, that's our awakening. And I think for a lot of people, they repress it their entire lives. Even people who were raised in accepting households, but it was never, they never understood as something that they could be. Just like me, I was raised in supposedly in accepting households until I came out. And then it was no longer something I could be. It was something that was okay for others to be, other parents, kids, but not me. Same. Um, yeah, it's exactly the same. Yeah. So there you go. There's my, there's my theory. Someone uh, call, call me about it. <laughs> if anyone has the authority to 
raise a hundred children as as being gay, please do. I mean, you could start a commune. Yeah, I'm, yeah. All of them on your commune. Uh, I don't know how I would I mean, I'll be yeah, gay, you but <laughs> you can start a cult um, oh, and let us know how it goes. A queer cult, and they would have to give me their 100 babies to raise on my own. <laughs> Just Sean and 100 babies. Are they all the same? You can do it. Different ages? They're all the same age. Honestly, yeah, you, a- you have to start with them at the beginning. That's the, what you're saying, right? Like yeah. the whole. What an amazing show that would be. Me and 100. Sean, Sean and 100 babies. <laughs> Sean and 100 babies. I'd watch it. I would totally watch it. That'd be a great. It could be like a Truman Show kind of thing, where we just are like watching him for the their entire lives. Or I can't wait to see the play that they're in. Like that's what I can't wait for. Sean and a hundred and one babies. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Sean's one hundred and one babies. No, Sean and the one hundred and one babies. Sean and the one hundred and one babies. Babies. Yeah. The babies. The babies. The babies. Well, I I'm gonna have to at. Yeah. Three hop well, off. that has been um, really insightful into queer travel. We learned a lot about <laughs> Yeah, everyone knows about queer travel now. No, but I, you know what? We, we covered a lot of really important things, and this is, this is why we brought you on today is because these are the things that you, know, you have thought and studied and experienced a lot of, and it's been really eye-opening, I think, even as like, someone who is queer. I, don't, I think I really try, not, not actively necessarily, but I've separated myself from the queer community. I've, you know, and Sean and I have many conversations about me not like allowing myself to feel like I'm a part of that community and all of that. And I have, what? Graduation. Graduation. Yeah. There was at Redlands, we had, what was it? The lavender ceremony. There was a queer graduation and I was way too uncomfortable to go. Part of it was because it was during all the other graduation events and my family was around and that scared me to have to tell them that I wanted to do something like that. But I also just didn't feel like I was part of that community at Redlands or in general. Um, and so it's been really great talking to someone who is so well immersed in it and you know has such insights about the world that we live in. But you still had your shawl. I did. Sean was so sweet. He got me a stole. A stole. Yeah. Not a shawl. shawl. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, a shawl. Give me a stole. I wish they gave us queer shawls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had our own special ceremony for Lauren at our apartment. Dad, it was very, very sweet. Yes, Sean has done a very good job of helping me feel like I am allowed to be a part of queer culture and that I'm not an imposter and in that. <laughs> you've done a great job of helping me feel safe in my skin and feel like I can uh, be queer publicly and very privately in my own art. Oh, good. Yeah. And you too, Maddie. I was gonna say, you know what, and, and Maddie as well though, like the whole time that like <laughs> Maddie was there when I was like beginning, the very beginnings of my journey into. And Maddie was also there when I met her when we were freshmen. <laughs> was there, that's crazy. She was. Well, thank you for having me, uh, weenies. You, you big weenies. We are big weenies. And, uh, and winos. Well, I don't think anyone's a wino right now. I thought wino was I... a term for people who were experiencing homelessness. Okay, you know what? My dad said that to me after we like already had a couple episodes of this podcast. Um, and you're correct. Is that like a discriminatory term? Are we rebranding? Weenies. We more weenies. <laughs> Just. <laughs> Weenies. All the weenies. Honestly, I think you would have more traction if the name of your podcast was All the Weenies. <gasps> mm. Or All My Weenies. All My Weenies. They, for anyone who's, a musical, or anyone who's a theater fan, not musical theater fan, here's a line for you. 
They were all my weenies. What's that from? <laughs> well, it's, it's from All My Weenies. <laughs> <laughs> all My Weenies by uh, Arthur Willer. <laughs> I thought Weenie Miller was some Willer. Weenie Arthur Miller? Weenie, Arthur Miller, middle name redacted. It's Weenies. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, thank you so much, Sean, for yeah, thank you for coming on. So today we will yes. um, have some deep thought about the word winos now. Yes. Thank you, weenie number one and weenie number two. You choose amongst yourself which one's which. <laughs> who's who? Who's who of the weenies? That's that could be an episode. That who's, should be. Who's who of the weenies? What type of weenie are you? Ooh, See, I think I think there's a lot of potential here. There is, there is. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sean. Um, yes. Enjoy the rest of your day. Hopefully we can have you back on again soon and maybe we can, you know, find a topic that we actually can stick to. I'm I'm honestly happy for our next topic to just be straight up weenies. I'm down for that too. I mean, that seems- I love weenies, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, great. Thank you so much. Um, this has been a really awesome episode. Yeah, it has been. Thank you for listening to another episode of Weenies and Winos. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Weenies and Winos Podcast. Become a Patreon for as little as $2 and get exclusive benefits such as bonus content and getting to pick out what we drink. Catch y'all next time. Bye. Yeah, that was better.